scripture, if you remember, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount with a series called Kingdom Life in a Fallen World. And we've been taking the time to go through the Lord's Prayer and break it down. What's, what's the Lord really saying in this passage? If you'll remember, His disciples came to, and said, uh, came to Him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. They didn't say, teach us what to pray. And so Jesus is giving us a pattern for how we are to come to God. And so we've been working through the different uh, things that God is saying, and now we're moving into a new section. I'm going to go ahead and read that. It's found in the inside of your bulletin. And unfortunately, there's a little bit uh, that was left off in the end. So I'm going to go ahead and read that as well. Hear the word of the Lord. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you do not forgive those around you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. But if you forgive those around you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. The word of the Lord. We're going to talk about debt today. What a wonderful topic to discuss in the church. I looked up the financial debt of the United States of America, which is 15 trillion, 901,173,349,128. And it's funny, if you ever go to the web, they have these counters, and it just continues to go up and up. In fact, they broke down per person if we were each to uh, chip in, if you were, to pay the national debt, each of us would owe $134,685. So I know that's pocket change for some of you, but it concerns me. By the way, that number should uh, communicate to us, get involved with the political process. We're able to vote, so jump in and have your say, people. Okay. Very exciting. I don't know if you've ever heard of the first way that credit cards went out. 1954, Bank of America sent 60,000 unsolicited credit cards to Fresno, California. Here was a chance for people to go ahead and have credits, go buy things, even if they didn't have the money for it. What a brilliant idea. Now there are over 609 million credit cards in the United States. The average person has 15 thousand dollars in financial debt. We understand financial debt, don't we? We've lived through it, maybe you're living through it right now. But there are other types of debt, aren't there? There's emotional debt, where someone has hurt you and harmed you, and the ledger has grown with the grudges that you have against someone else. Maybe you're on someone else's balance sheet, as you've been wrong to them, and they carry that grudge against you. There's financial debt, there's emotional debt, but there's also spiritual debt, which is the worst kind of debt. Some of us, we have this sense that all is not right with God, that there is a ledger being kept of wrongs and rights, a picture of a God who is watching. You know, if you really want to understand the God that we think of in our minds, all you have to do is think of Santa Claus, right? He's making a list and checking it twice. You're going to find out who's naughty and nice. So we have an impending sense that something is not right with God. And it haunts us. 
So the question we have to ask is this. What if there was a possibility that we could live in freedom? That we could live in an open and honest relationship with God and experience His peace? What if that peace could flow over into our life? Flow into our relationships where we would be able to love and be loved and to forgive? You see, this is the prayer that Jesus is telling us here when He says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. See, Jesus is communicating that forgiveness is possible. That there is a way that we can be forgiven. We can experience peace and the love of God. And this love can transfer and change the world. For it is the freedom of forgiveness that gives us the power to forgive. We're going to unpack this passage and we're going to look at three things. Number one, our need for forgiveness. We have a need to be forgiven. Number two, the gift of forgiveness. The gift that God gives us. The need for forgiveness, the gift of forgiveness, and finally the response of forgiveness. How do we live on the other side of forgiveness? Because it is the freedom of forgiveness that gives us the freedom to forgive. Well, let's look at this first point, the need for forgiveness. You know, what's exactly he's talking about with this debt, if you will? You know, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a little scary for us, isn't it? Because it seems to indicate that we have to forgive others in order to be forgiven by God. It's almost like maybe there's this salvation debt. You know, we're on a spiritual treadmill, if you will. If we forgive others, God will forgive us. But if we don't forgive others, God will not forgive us. And so we live wondering, did I confess all the sins that I needed to, the debts? Did I care for other people? I want to suggest to you that this passage, Jesus is not talking about salvation debt. He's not talking about if you forgive, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't, He will not forgive you. You see, the Scriptures tell us in totality that what God has done for us is He has moved us from darkness into light, from condemnation to salvation, if you are a believer in Christ. Listen to these passages. Romans 5.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2.13, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. These He set aside, nailing them to the cross. So He's not talking about the debt of salvation. He's talking about the debt on the other side of salvation. He's talking about sanctification. You see, when we come to Christ, we are justified. We're justified in the sight of God. It, it's an act of forgiveness. But sanctification, His process of transforming us into the likeness of Christ, is a work. See, we have some real funny theology about what God is doing to us on the other side of salvation. One thing that we, some people believe in is what's called perfectionism. That if we try... After a certain point in time, we will finally be holy and we will not sin anymore. That is not jiving with my life, by the way. The second is antinomianism, which basically says grace is free. We can live however we want. There are no obligations because God has given us grace. So it doesn't matter what else there is. 
But we see in Hebrews 10, 14, that it says, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. There's a process that's going on. But we must look at this passage about debts and debtors in the context of relationship. You know, we adopted a child. And truth be told, I can't remember which one it is. But we adopted a child, and when we adopted this child, we brought her into our family. We gave her a new name, a new inheritance, a new life. She was ours. I tell my kids all the time, you know, why do I love you? Because you're mine. And so in the context of relationship, I'm work we're working with this child who is sometimes disobedient. Imagine that. But there is, in the context of relationship, that we can forgive her. Because in the context of relationship, we never cast her out. See, that's what God is doing, and that's what Jesus is talking about in this particular passage. But we still need to unpack this concept of debt. What is the debt he's talking about? Romans 4, 4 says, Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. In other words, this guy has worked all day, and he is owed something, a debt, an obligation that should be paid for him. How about this? Deuteronomy 24, 12. If the man is poor, do not go to sleep with his pledge in your possession, namely his cloak, because that is what he wears and that is what he sleeps in. See, it's saying you cannot take his cloak as collateral, as debt, if you will, because that's what God's law says. So debt is a financial term here. But in this particular instance, he's not talking about a financial debt with God. He's talking about a moral debt. A moral debt, an obligation of how we are to live. I mean, when you think about it, what kind of parent wouldn't give any parameters to their child, boundaries and barriers of how they are to live, so that they would experience life and they would grow up to maturity? So God has told us how to live. We have an obligation, and yet, often, we break God's laws, and we incur a moral debt. But we here see that Jesus says, Forgive our debts, our moral debts. This word forgiveness, aphiomi, in the Greek literally means send away. Send away my moral debts. See, what is he talking about these moral debts? He's not talking about sins per se, because sins have already been paid for. If you are a Christian, Jesus has paid for your sins, past, present, and future. Even the sins that you forget about. Even the sins that you can't remember. So he's not saying, send away my sin. What he's saying is, send away the guilt of my sin. You see, to forgive essentially means to remove the guilt resulting from wrongdoing. Why does he, why do we pledge and ask God to send away our guilt? It's because when we sin and experience this guilt, we look in the mirror of our sin. And we see ourselves and how twisted we can be. We see that we're crippled, that we can't seem to obey the obligations of God. And as we have this guilt, it begins to accrue. And when we don't give it to God, it grows and grows, separating us from God. And we experience cardiosclerosis, a hardening of the heart. And so we experience this penalty, this cloak which wraps us, 
and takes us away from God as we build this house that we are inside so that we don't experience Christ's supposed penalty. But we know that that's not what Christ is saying. See, at the end of the day, you know what forgiveness is when we come to God? We're asking a question. We're saying, God, do you still love me? Even amidst all that I've done, all of the guilt I have, the moral obligations that I've broken, do you still love me? How many times must I forgive my brother? Seven times? No, 70 times seven. And when Jesus says that, he's not talking about the number, he's talking about a number that is incalculable. I remember when I was a kid, about eight or nine years old, I was in the grocery store with my mom, and I saw a little candy in there. It was a little individually wrapped candy, those orange slices with the little sugar. I love those things, by the way. They're so savory and tasty. So, uh, like a kid, I, I, I was conflicted, you know? I know that you're not supposed to take it, and yet I wanted to savor it. And so, lo and behold, I took, I ate from the forbidden fruit. I actually hid it, and we walked out the door after she had paid. Now, moms seem to have some sort of radar to know that something is amiss. And so my mom said, what do you have in your hand? Oh, nothing, nothing at all. No, 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 you have something in your hand. What is it? And that's when this little guy burst into tears, experiencing the full weight of the guilt of what he had done. And my mom was very gracious. We went back into uh, the store and returned the gift. But my mom continued to bless me and love me. Even despite all that I had done, and that guilt melted away as I was covered by grace. See, how do you and me deal with sin? If you are a Christian, if you have experienced the forgiveness of God, how do you deal with sin? Do you go to God? Or do you refrain, building a wall between you and Him? You may think, I have nine lives and I've already used up eight of them. I better not use that knife because it's then all over. And so often we try to change the books. You know, we got a lot of debits on our ledger, so let's go out and get some credits. Let's go do some good things. Let's go be religious. Let's try to turn the tide so we don't have to go to God. Sometimes we just give up. We say, He would never forgive me. So we just give up. We put our head down and we go about our business. Our guilt accruing in our hearts separating us. We don't. But Jesus says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So this is the application with our need for forgiveness. Number one, come near. Go to God. With all of your worries, all your doubts, come near to God. Come into the throne room. Come near. But then also, come boldly. Come boldly in the Scripture's promises, who calls you a son and daughter of God, who says there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Hold on to His promises and come near and come boldly. And finally, come often. 
Keep short accounts with the Lord, constantly confessing and experiencing His grace. See, forgiveness is like breathing, taking it in and taking it out, keeping short accounts with God who wants to keep short accounts with us. For the scriptures say, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. It is the freedom of forgiveness that gives us the freedom to forgive. Well, we've talked about the need for forgiveness. I want to talk about the guilt, excuse me, the gift of forgiveness. Wow, it would be great to live a guilt-free life, wouldn't it? But we are so messed up. You know, I say this all the time. There are only two types of people in the world. Those who are screwed up and those who know they're screwed up. Two types of people. But we've lived in this world for a while and we're wary of free gifts, aren't we? Come on out. You can get a brand new condo. You know, there's a survey and you can take it. You can get a brand new iPad. We're wary of free gifts because we understand that no one gets something for nothing. Sooner or later, it comes back around and the bill comes due. And so we're uncomfortable with this idea that we can come and experience free grace. And, and we decide we're going to try to take an easier route. Something easier in order to calm and assuage our guilt. We take up positive thinking. We awaken the giant within. That we can be positive and experience a guilt-free life. We take up the new ethics of our time which say there's no such thing as right or wrong, so you can't be guilty. It's simply life. Right and wrong are tools used to manipulate us. Or we play the blame game. It's not my fault. It's his fault. It's their fault. I can't possibly be blamed for these things. Or we play the pain game. And we drown our guilt and sorrows in alcohol and sex and pills. You know, what is debt? Very simple. It's stealing. We're all thieves. It's not stealing things. It's stealing glory. God is the one who is glorious. Who has put us on this earth to show and reflect His glory. That's why you were made. If you're ever wondering what's the purpose of your life, I just gave it to you. So write it down so you don't forget it. The purpose is to give His glory. But we've stolen His glory. We've twisted and manipulated His glory so that the glory we shine forth is the glory of man, not the glory of God. You know, back way ago, some of you know the story of Australia. Australia initially was, was peopled with 160,000 criminals who were sent over from England and the English colonies. See, they were set aside because they were thieves. See, Australia is not much different than Earth spiritually. The whole earth is guilty. We live in a debtor's country. And we don't get off this rock before we pay the price. Hebrews 9.27 said, Just as man is appointed to die once, and after that to face judgment. There will be a day when the books will be opened, and the ledger that is kept for us will be seen. God says, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will confess to God. Now the question we have to ask is, when will the note come due? Maybe it's a 30-year mortgage. Maybe it's a 15-year. Or maybe it's a balloon payment coming up. You know, those people that walked into that theater to see that movie, 
They think in their wildest dreams that that would be the end of their life. The note is going to come due. And where can we assign it? Who will pay the debt? We can push it off on someone else, but they're the same as us. $134,000. We're all in the same boat. But the glory and the gift of forgiveness is this. That God is the one who has chosen to repay the debt that we could never pay. See, God, the God of the universe, pulled out his checkbook. And checkbook that he pulled out was not paper, but a person. Jesus Christ, the God-man who came to earth. The one who lived, who needed to live in such a way that he would never have guilt because he would never sin. He would always be obedient to his Father. He would always honor the debt to praise him and to give glory to him. And he, after living a perfect life, would write the check. For he would volunteer to pay the debt that we could not pay. The price that was written on this check of his heart was death. Hebrews 2.10 says, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. See, Jesus was the only one that could pay our debt. The cross is a picture in full color of the payment at the register. Him paying the debt. You know, it's very ironic, that title that was put over across uh, Jesus' head. You know, the way they would do it is when they crucified someone, they put the crime he had committed and they put it over his head. So everyone would know. But what did Pontius Pilate decide to have written for Jesus? Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. And it was written in Latin and Greek and Aramaic. So the world would know, not just the Jews, that here is the king who is on a cross, who has come to pay for his people. You know, at the very end of Jesus' death, when he gave up his spirit, many of the uh, uh, translations said, uh, say, it is finished. In the Greek, it's totelestoi, which is a financial term. and literally means paid in full. Why would God go to such lengths? save us? Is it because we're good people? Is it because we have it all together? Is it because we're repentant? No, the answer is really simple. It's because He loves us. And He chooses to love us. Not because of us, but because of Him. See, God knows everything about you. And He loves you. Forgiveness and love are the same thing. All forgiveness is, is love and action. Christ has the power to take our debt and turn it into freedom. He has the power to take our guilt and turn it into love. He has the power to take our despair and turn it into joy. And so what must he do in response to what God has done through Christ Jesus, this gift of forgiveness? We must, we have to, we should, it's part of us to respond in love. Jesus tells a story in Luke 7, 37, of a woman who had lived a sinful life, who in a town learned that Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's house. And uninvited, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, 
weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, a sinner. Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 20 months of wages, and the other owed him two months of wages. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you did not give me any water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. But you did not give me even a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her sins, many of them, there are many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Recently I, I used to uh, invest in real estate properties. Right about the time that the real estate market tanked. You know, I've never had good timing. That's my problem. You know, I had something that I thought was an asset that instantly turned into a debt. Something that was supposed to lift me up, but instead brought me down. And had a property that wasn't as worth as much as I had to pay. And this guilt, this, this struggle began to crush me as I understood that I didn't have the money to pay for this. And it was literally draining me of finances as I was having to pick up the load. My partner deserted me, but because my name was on the note, it was on me. And finally, in a way of desperation, I went to the bank and I simply said to them, I don't have the money. Will you forgive my debt? And they did. They gave, they brought the debt back so that I would be able to pay it off. Just recently I got this, a certificate and affidavit of satisfaction from the Commonwealth of Virginia. I certify that this mortgage, trust, or other lien do hereby certify that it has been paid in full and the lien there created, created and retained is hereby released. See, we all have a certificate of debt, don't we, before God? But God has given us an affidavit of satisfaction. See, that's the gospel. It's the gift of forgiveness again and again and again, for He holds the note. And He says that it's satisfied. So I ask you the question, will you let Him forgive you? Maybe you're saying, I've gone too far. He wouldn't keep satisfying the debt. But let me tell you the truth. If you're in that place, you're right where you need to be. Because when you realize that you're spiritually at the bottom, that's when you can look. When you have that need of salvation, you can look to the gift of salvation. And soon, you must do three things to experience the joy of forgiveness. Number one, you must recognize the enormity of your debt. That there's no way that you can pay it back. 
that though it crushes you, there's no way to get that rock from out of your body to push it off of you. You must recognize the enormity of your death. But then you must recognize the enormity of your salvation. But here is the God who paid the price, who pulled out his checkbook, that he might give you satisfaction. Recognize the enormity of your debt, but recognize the enormity of salvation. And finally, respond. Respond to God daily and hourly. Enjoying the freedom that you have in Christ. Confessing your sins. Experiencing His forgiveness. Bathe in it. Breathe it. It is life. Because the truth of the matter is it's the freedom of forgiveness that gives us the freedom to forgive others. Now I want to turn upon our third point, the effect of forgiveness. Because the statement is true that love begets love. 1 John 4, 419, we love because he first loved us. Uh, Jesus says in this passage, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Just as this other passage about forgiving your debts, this is on the other side of salvation. This is for Christians. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about living in the context of our relationship. But love demands a response. See, what God is saying is that the, 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 the experience that you've had, that the forgiveness you've had, that the joy you've had, that the love you've had, you have an obligation to extend to those who owe you. God gives us the power through the love of Christ to forgive others. Notice I didn't say to reconcile with others. Because to have reconciliation, you must have two parties. But to forgive, what all you need is one. See, God gives us that power to look at the ledger sheet that we have on somebody else and to say, I forgive you as well. I have the ability and the love to cancel that sheet and to give satisfaction. But what God is saying is if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing, you don't lose your salvation, but you know what? The Lord is going to wait. Because you can't confess half of your sin while holding on to the other half. And so the Lord says, I'll wait. And the guilt accrues. And our spirit gets hardened and harder as we live in this wall of guilt and unforgiveness toward other people. It's when our hearts finally break. We understand the enormity of His forgiveness and how big the sheet was that God canceled that we're able to take that tiny sheet and give it away. Remember the story that was read during the scripture about the person, the king, who forgave the person who couldn't pay him. In modern terms, it would be about $6 billion, the debt that that man had. And the king forgave it and canceled that debt. But what did the man do? He went out and he found another person with a $20,000 debt and he choked him. The price was to be thrown into prison. You see, the point of it was this man who was forgiven. It never moved into his heart. He never truly experienced the peace and the joy and the love and the grace of being forgiven. He didn't understand and breathe in 
and enjoy his salvation as a result, his heart is still hard. So we must forgive our debts just as God forgives us. It's a command that we can follow. So the question I have for everyone in this room is, are you? We all hold grudges, don't we? There are people in our lives who've hurt us, some very deeply, some people who have abused us emotionally, sexually, financially. Maybe they've abandoned us, and we nurse the ledger of wrongs against them, caressing it, having imaginary conversations of how we are going to accuse and indict and sentence them. God in Christ gives us the power to forgive, to acknowledge as we have the note that Christ held the note for us and though we didn't deserve it, He forgave us. We have the power to forgive people who don't deserve it because God did it for us. So who is it? Is it an ex-husband, a parent, a boyfriend, friend who did you wrong? You can forgive. The question is, will you? I'm not saying that people who have done wrong things should not suffer consequences. The Lord, it's His vengeance, and He will repay. But we must forgive. How do we forgive? How do we experience this forgiveness? Maybe you just need to write out an affidavit of satisfaction with your name. Just for yourself. To say, you know what? I forgive this person. And you put it in your door. Maybe you need to go to them. And you just need to say to them, I forgive you. You were rotten to me. You never took care of me. But you know what? Christ has forgiven my debt. And so I forgive yours. If they don't like it, big deal. It's your heart going to them. And if you do, if you go to people, you let go of that grudge, you will experience the peace and joy and love of a clean slate with God. See, God pulled out His checkbook. He brought love into the world. He brought love into your heart. What God is doing through you and me in the church is starting a revolution of love to our enemies, to those close to us, and to the world. Live like this. What would happen if we were a church that lived like this? Wouldn't it be a place where we would have to find a new place because we could not possibly fit? It starts with Him and moves to us. So recognize your need. Recognize the joy of salvation and recognize the response that God demands of us. For it is the freedom of forgiveness that gives us freedom to forgive ourselves, others. Let us pray. Lord, the glory of the gospel is this that you love us because you love us and you chose us even though we had nothing to bring to the table but debt. You came and you balanced the ledger. You pulled out your checkbook in Jesus Christ and you paid and paid and paid. And so we have peace with you. And we can experience peace on an hourly basis as we come to you with our faults 
as we come to you with our guilt, and you reassure us with your grace that you continue to love us, that the document, the satisfaction has been written, and you are the guarantor. All of this we pray in Christ's name.